What's up, guys? Good to, good to see you. Uh, I know it's, uh, it's been a little rough this morning, uh, technically speaking. We're, uh, we're glad that you're with us anyway. Um, but let me pray for us, and I'm going to try to <laughs> gather my thoughts here as we, as we get rolling here. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much this morning for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, the security that comes from knowing you. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you'd bring our attention uh, to what you have to say to us. Lord, we want to pray this morning for the black community that is experiencing uh, deep pain. Um, Lord, we, we ask for your, your comfort. And Lord, that we would, that we would comfort uh, them um, with the comfort that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we, we ask for that. Lord, we pray uh, for all of the, the cities across the United States that are um, in absolute turmoil, that are on fire. Lord, we, we ask that you would work in those situations, Lord, Lord, that you would bring healing and wholeness. Lord, we pray that um, uh, law enforcement and, uh, and the black community would work well together, and Lord, that there would be uh, systemic problems that would be uh, overcome um, as a result. Lord, I'm praying for us as Christians, for those of us that, um, that bristle at the idea of somehow having a role in the things that have taken place. Lord, I pray that we would humbly accept what you have for us, whatever that is. Lord, it's hard for me. But Lord, I'm asking that you would, that you would break our hearts. Lord, that we, would, that we would bring comfort to those. Lord, that we would bring repentance to our relationships. Lord, I'm praying for our city. Lord, I'm praying that our city would be, become whole. Lord, I'm praying that if there's outside influencers in our city that are just here to destroy, Lord, that you would bring justice that you would bring justice to these circumstances. We're, 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 we want to pray this morning for law enforcement. Lord, for all of those uh, that are acting righteously, Lord, we pray uh, for your wisdom. Lord, we pray for your strength. Lord, we know that none of us is without sin, and so we pray for repentance on all of our parts and theirs as well. Lord, we're praying uh, that tonight that things would, would calm down all across our nation, in our city. Lord, we're praying for the people that were hurt in the, the riots and demonstrations. Lord, we're, we're praying for those that are just weeping right now. They're just, they're just weeping because of the stuff that their, their community is enduring, has endured. Lord, I pray that we would weep with those who weep. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, oh, you know, just a crazy week. Um, I, I, uh, I saw that, that all of this hit the news uh, some time ago, um, a few days ago. I uh, 
I uh, had not had had I hadn't really been watching the news this week for some reason. Um, I finally kind of came to the point as I saw this was was coming to a, a, a head this this week, and I uh, I thought you know I better watch this video, um, the vi- video of, of George Floyd being arrested and ultimately dying. And uh, I. Uh, I think on, on some level, I, I, I didn't watch that because I, I didn't want to deal with that kind of, that kind of pain. Um, I mean, I, we, we've seen a lot of videos, and I, I think the black community throughout all of those videos, I'm, I'm just talking off the cuff here, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that what I'm saying is going to be received with grace, but it, the... In every one of those videos, um, I look at them and, I, and I'm like, I can't exactly tell all the time. I think sometimes it's very clear. Uh, you can't exactly tell what all happened there. And so we seem to be so far away from it here in Salem. We have 2%. Um, last time I checked, it was a 2% um, uh, African-American population in Salem. I, do, I don't hear a ton about... Um, uh, racism in in our city a whole lot, but uh, you know the black community has been crying out about these situations, and um, and I think in in some ways those of us who are in Salem who are shielded from these these things who don't have to deal with them right here, that we can just kind of enter into some level of comfort. That like it's it's not my problem, kind of a deal. And I and I think if there's anything that I that I specifically need uh, to do is is my repentance over. I need to repent over the the idea, the reality that I haven't cared as much as I should have. And. Watching that video, if you haven't watched it, I really want to encourage you to, um, because it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. It's, it's unimaginable. And I, I just want to ask you and me to enter into the pain that the black community is, is experiencing. And... I mean, we can say all kinds of things about how people shouldn't be rioting and looting stores. And I, I'm, I, I know people who have businesses. I don't want that to happen to them either. I, I don't think that that's right. But I don't think that the vast majority of the people who are sincerely grieving over this are really the ones who are doing that. I, I, I don't entirely believe that. But I could be wrong. I don't know. But we have a responsibility to enter into their pain. And it is a sad video to watch. And so I think we, there's, there's a lot of conservatives in our church. And so I just, I just want to encourage you in something. I, I want to encourage you to to think wholeheartedly about what it looks like to carry out chapter 3, verse 8. 
which says, finally, all of you, chapter 3, verse 8 of 1 Peter, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I taught on that just this last week. And this is clearly speaking to the church at that time, but it does not preclude us uh, from from living peaceably at all times so far as it depends on you. It does not, it, it, it's not saying don't be kind, don't be tenderhearted to the outside world. It's saying you also, in the church, be tenderhearted towards one another. But this is what is supposed to characterize who we are as people. That, that we would have sympathy back up, that we would have unity of mind with our black brothers and sisters, our literal Christian black brothers and sisters. In, in Acts 29, the church planting network that I'm a part of, the organization that I'm a part of, we have uh, many African-American pastors, and they tell us stories, the rest of us white guys, about the things that they've endured over the years. They tell us the stories of having being stopped in the middle of the night for speeding with uh, their pregnant wife. And instead of, just like in most situations, instead of the, the cop like just giving him a ticket while he sits in his car, he cuffs him and puts him in his car while his wife sits alone in her car on a dark country road as she sits there by herself. I mean, there's just some things that are like, I just don't think that we have had sympathy, that we've had unity of mind with our black brothers and sisters. I don't think I have. And I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I, I think I feel repentant. I feel like I, I, watch, I watch this video and I just go, oh, that's what you're talking about. It's not just that you could be arrested. It's that you could be arrested for some low-level offense and then somehow end up dead just because you got arrested. Men and women, what would it be like if we experienced that? And I know I'm talking to white people. Our church is mostly white. What would that be like to live in fear in that way? I can't imagine if I had to worry about my son every time he went out, my sons every time they went out. I can't imagine what that would be like, but that is what they're saying they're dealing with. And guys, we have to stop talking about all of the other things that are going on. All of the, yeah, but they shouldn't be rioting. Well, can you imagine if no one's listening to you can you imagine, what would you do? What wouldn't you do? We need to have unity of mind with our black brothers and sisters and to communicate to them our love for them by fighting for justice. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. A tender heart means that we have compassion for other people. I know I said this just last week, but it applies here. 
I mean, because we can say oftentimes, I have compassion for people. I have, you know, I, I love people. I care about them. But, but, but that compassion does not extend into fighting for justice for them. It doesn't mean that we have to believe that all cops are jerks. Absolutely not. What it does mean is that we, we want to love these people. We want our church to be more diverse. We want to make ourselves available. We want to open up our hearts. We want to open up our minds. We want to have a humble mind. And too often, I just got to say this, that if you're filling your mind with right-leaning talk radio, and I'm I understand why you do. I come from that world. But if that's all that you're hearing, if that's all that you're hearing, you're not hearing them. And we're not having a humble mind about this. So I just, I just need to say this at the, very, at the very top. That this stuff is real. In our church, we need to be concerned And today is not the day to point fingers and say, yeah, but, yeah, but. Today is the day to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who who mourn, to mourn with the Floyd family because they lost a son, to mourn with all of these other young black men that have been killed in some way or another, and to figure out what's going on here. I don't have the solution, but I can tell you this, Jesus does. We're in uh, 1 Peter 3, actually not in verse 8 today. We're in, uh, we're in verse 18. And I, I think this is really going to tie into what we're dealing with. It ties into the, the idea of, of, of injustice. Peter is speaking to people who are suffering. They're Christians and they're suffering for what they are doing. They're suffering for doing what is right. And they're being persecuted. And in in, in some ways, we we could say the same thing about the, the black community, that even though oftentimes they're doing what's right, uh, they are still experiencing injustice. What Peter's saying to the Christian community is he's saying, ultimately, we will be vindicated. Ultimately, we will be vindicated. Meaning, even though we're being persecuted for doing what is good, in the end, Jesus is king and he will rectify all things. He, he will bring all things to an end. He will be the one who rights every wrong. He will bring all ultimate justice. And so this is a great comfort for us. As I was reading in my commentary uh, just yesterday, I, I read this, this from, uh, from this, this commentary from Scott McKnight. He says, for the theme of vindication to have meaning, meaning in our day, meaning that ultimately these Christians will be vindicated, 
They will be shown to to have been righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus will vindicate them. And he says, for the theme of vindication to have meaning in our day, we must emphasize both the need to believe in final justice and to live in light of that justice. Perhaps we have been worn down by the seeming lack of justice in our world, worn down into living in apathy about justice, and especially final justice. Justice in our world seems to be haphazard, even chaotic, and it seems extremely slow in its, in its realization. All of us have followed news stories of murderers or criminals who got off the hook, received some minor punishment, or were released from jail far too early, only to find that they were arrested shortly thereafter for the same violent crime. When events like this take place before our eyes, it is not surprising that a sense of justice is eroded. Before long, we can slide into a state of not believing in ultimate justice. Now, that was a, 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 a commentary that I read just yesterday in the midst of all this. It had nothing to do with... Uh, with, dur- during this time, it was written quite some time ago, and this author, Scott McKnight, writes this, and I, and I think it's, it's very important today uh, because of this, because we get into this place where we say, justice isn't happening, justice isn't happening. It doesn't matter what side of the, of the divide that you are on, you feel like justice isn't happening. All of us on some level or another can say, I don't believe that justice is happening. Because we can point to the other side and we can say, yeah, but they have been unjust. And we can point fingers at each other. But what this is saying is it's it's saying something which is, I believe this passage is going to communicate to us that ultimately if you want ultimate justice, then you will also be under justice ultimate authority. If you want ultimate justice, then that means that you want to be under ultimate authority. You believe that there is an ultimate authority because you cannot believe that injustice takes place without believing that there's something better, that there's something good. And I'm here to tell you that there is an ultimate justice. There is an ultimate authority that will ultimately bring all things to an end that will ultimately bring all things to justice. And what that means is that you and I will be brought to justice. The people who perpetrate evil against us will be brought to justice, but you and I will also be brought to justice. And so this passage is is speaking to that. I think it works for for what, what we're dealing with here today. The last verse that we covered in the last passage says this, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And ultimately, Peter is going to explain this idea of uh, it's, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than for doing evil. And he's going to explain how Jesus will ultimately take care of all things. He will vindicate uh, the believers in Jesus Christ. He will bring all things under his ultimate authority. And so Peter begins to explain this. The problem is, is that this might be, and I'm not even joking about this, this might be one of the most argued about passages in history. 
Because it is very hard to discern a couple of these verses and what they mean. In fact, Martin Luther, the uh, great reformer, who has serious opinions about a lot of things, said this. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Someone else uh, made it even more clear. Basically, Martin Luther has no idea what Peter is saying here. He has no idea. Now, I don't believe he's speaking about the entire passage, but he's speaking uh, specifically about verse 19 at least. Verse 19 at least. So let me read it for you, and then we'll continue on. And if you're just joining us here, and you just got in here, I, uh, I want to encourage you to watch from the very beginning of, uh, of the sermon. Um, I, I am going to be addressing what's, what's going on in our, in our world here as we continue on. So verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered for the sins, uh, uh, for, for, I'm sorry, for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, I don't know how clear that is to you, but I got to tell you, it took a good amount of time for me to even kind of unpack what's going on there. One of the things that you should know is this, is that Noah was a man uh, whom God had favor on. Noah was a man who God had, had favor on. So what it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, in regard uh, to Noah's time period, was this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so it says that God had chose to judge the world. It says that God has chosen to judge the world during that time and to set it right, if you will. So one of the things that we should know from that is this, is that God is righteous and he desires justice to happen in our world. And when he looked at Noah's time period, when he looked at that time period, he said there is incredible injustice. There is incredible evil that's happening during this time period. And so he calls Noah to himself. He has favor on him. And it says that he was a righteous man. And I believe that he was a righteous man by God's power. God had called him to himself. And so Noah is instructed to build himself a boat, which is called an ark. And so he builds this ark, and during that time period, it seems as though Noah was also preaching that these people should turn from injustice and evil and should turn to God. They should turn to Yahweh. However, nobody listens, nobody cares, and so ultimately you might know the story, and that is that Noah, along with seven members of his family, get into the ark, the world floods, everyone dies 
except for Noah and his family. And the world is basically reset in that moment. So that's the backstory here uh, for, for just a little bit. But start from the beginning here in verse uh, 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. So he's saying, if you're experiencing injustice, what you need to know is this, is that Christ also experienced injustice. That has to be the first thing that we understand. Christians oftentimes uh, believe that we should not be experiencing injustice. And many of, we've talked about this over and over again over the last few weeks because of the stay-at-home orders and the, the shutdown of the businesses and things like that. And Christians have, a lot of Christians have big opinions on these things. And so we, we've talked about this idea of, uh, is this injustice? Is this not injustice? That, that kind of a thing. But we're very aware of persecution. It's talked about oftentimes in Christian circles. But what this is saying is it's saying, if you think that you're experiencing injustice, I want you to see Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus also suffered once for sins. He doesn't go on suffering for sins. He accomplished it one time. He accomplished that on the cross. And it is for forever. It is for all of those who have perpetrated injustice on everyone else. In fact, it says in the next uh, phrase here, the righteous for the unrighteous. What's that supposed to make us think? That's supposed to make us think about the idea that the reason why Jesus went to the cross, the reason why Jesus suffered was that he, as the righteous one, the only righteous person in the world, he endured suffering as a righteous person, not just, uh, just because he was righteous, but he endured injustice because of unrighteous people. He endured injustice because of the unrighteousness of other people. And so we've continually talked about this. We've continually talked about the idea of we as Christians are, are allowed to and more than allowed to, commanded to experience injustice for the sake of other people. To experience injustice for the sake of other people because Jesus has done that for us for a purpose that he might bring us to God. You might have thought, hey, I brought myself to God. I became a Christian at this point. I walked the aisle. I came to the altar. I decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. What this is saying is this. This is saying that you didn't get yourself to God. And guess what? If you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with God, what you have to understand is that you, if you want a relationship with God, that Jesus is bringing you to God through his suffering. He as the righteous one has suffered for you, the unrighteous one. He as the righteous one has suffered for me, the unrighteous one. That he might bring me to God. He has brought me to God. Jesus is the one who has done this for me. And so he says, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. So that's referring to, we believe on some level, his resurrection. So it's talking about the cross and the resurrection. And so he's saying he was put to death in the flesh, but they weren't able to really kill him. Jesus suffered injustice for a purpose, that he might bring us to God, and he's calling us to suffer for others, that we may bring them to God. So as we're talking about uh, the systemic injustice 
that the black community has experienced. When we're talking about how they consistently feel like, and I think that video proves that there are clear instances where God, where, 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 where law enforcement has overstepped their bounds. We have a responsibility to, at personal cost, at personal comfort, at the cost of personal comfort, to suffer injustice for their sake, that we might bring them to God. Have you ever thought about this? Are your politics evangelistically motivated? Or are they comfort motivated? And this, this goes for both sides. Or whatever side you're on, I have no, no idea. This goes for both sides. Are your politics evangelistically motivated? Or are they comfort motivated? I promise you that most of my political leanings are because of my comfort. I promise you I am that evil. I promise you that I need sanctification, that I need this teaching. Jesus suffered for me so that I, at, at personal cost to myself, would suffer for others. I, I, I don't know that there's any clearer example of what it looks like to be a Christian than to say, we, I am going to give up my rights for the sake of others. People say it's, it's not American when the government takes that. And I would say, yeah, I don't think that that aligns with the Constitution, but the Constitution isn't my Bible. The Constitution isn't the Word of God. The Word of God is my authority. The Constitution influenced greatly perhaps by the word of God, praise God for that. But it still is not the word of God. Jesus suffered at great personal cost to himself for the unrighteous, of which I am one. And newsflash, you are one. We are all in the same boat. Jesus suffered for us. So then it says this in verse 19 which is super confusing. It says, but he was made alive in the spirit in which he, that is Christ in the spirit, so Christ in the spirit went and proclaimed to the spirits who are in prison. And I believe it, it would say based on uh, what I've read is that the spirits who are now in prison, what does that mean? Who is in prison? Are they evil spirits? Uh, who are these spirits? When did Jesus do this? Did Jesus, when Jesus was crucified uh, and he, he dies, did he descend in the spirit to hell like the Apostles' Creed says and preach to the spirits in prison? Or when did he preach to them? And I, I just got to tell you that it, it's completely unclear. As Martin Luther said, I have no idea what he meant. And we don't have really any other scripture that would speak to this. So it's really harmful to build theologies off of one verse. If you, know, if you can't find other scripture to prove your, your point, 
then you should probably just say, I don't know, I guess Jesus will tell us what that means when we get there. And so I just would advise you to do that. So don't build a theology uh, on this passage, but what you should see is that Peter is saying something. He's pointing to something. So he's, he's, he's moving a direction towards Noah in the days of Noah. And so what I, what I believe he's saying, but I cannot be sure, and we cannot be sure, and all theologians are not sure on this, they're, they're, there's quite a bit of division here, is that Christ was preaching through Noah when the ark was being built. That Christ, by the power of the Spirit, was, was preaching through Noah while the ark was being built. In fact, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, on and on it goes. So Peter believes that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. And so he's, it sounds like what he's saying is that Jesus preached to these people in this time through Noah by the power of his spirit. And these people who are in prison, in hell now, because they didn't hear uh, the preaching of Noah, they're in the spirit now. So these people, uh, Jesus went and proclaimed to these people who are now in prison. So that might be what it's saying, but we can't be sure. Either way, what we're talking about is we're talking about Noah. What was going on in the days of Noah? Well, I, I, I told you already, and that is that... Uh, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so Peter's talking about this and he's saying, he's saying that, that what happened was that the preaching of the word happened in that time. And then he says in verse 20, because they formerly did not obey. They didn't obey this preaching. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What's this saying? It's saying this, that God waits patiently. He waits and he waits and he waits patiently for those who are perpetrating injustice. He's waiting patiently for those who would thumb their nose at him who would uh, throw off every restraint, who would not live under authority, who would perpetrate racism against people. God is, is patient for a time, but his patience will not last forever. He's patient and he waits in the days of Noah what, even though he's pointing to like their destruction is sure, I am sending a flood and yet these people would not believe. They're seeing Noah build this boat and they're not, they're not listening to him. They're not believing him. And the same thing can be said to you and I. As we stand without Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God is patient. He's given you air to breathe. He's given you life. He's given you everything that you have. And yet, you might say, oh, I, I'm pretty cool with God. I'm okay with God. But have you ever given your life to God? Have you ever experienced God saving you? Because ultimately, even though God is the one who saves us, he holds us responsible for not seeking after him. And he's patiently waiting. But listen, there is a flood that's coming. 
There is a flood that is coming. Jesus will come and he will judge the living and the dead. And he will judge every wrong injustice. He will judge every moment of racism. He will judge gossip. He will judge gluttony. He will judge self-righteousness. He will judge lust. He will judge lying. He will judge abusers. He will judge people who abuse their power. He will judge every single one of us. See, we cry for justice, and we should. We absolutely should in this world. The only reason why we can cry for justice is because we have it in our minds that there is an ultimate justice. And that ultimate justice will come. That flood of justice will come. And you and I will not be able to stand when that flood comes if we do not get into the boat. You and I will not stand if we do not get into the boat of the salvation that God has prepared through Jesus. Because if you want injustice to end, then what you're saying is that there is a true justice. There is an ultimate authority that determines what is just. Do you realize that there's a flood that's coming? And so he tells him, and so he says, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. People often talk about how uh, Christian beliefs are out of date, that Christian beliefs are um, archaic, uh, puritanical, um, those types of things. It might feel like that in the world's eyes. Yeah, I'll accept that. But if they are not the ultimate authority and Jesus is, where does that leave you? There's still a flood coming. It's, it's, it still doesn't matter because God's right. And what he says goes. And only seven were saved. I'm sorry, eight, including Noah. Only eight were saved. Peter is saying to the church at that time that's experiencing persecution, you may be few, but Noah also was a minority in his generation. You might be a minority in your generation. So let me, let me just say something about that. You might be a minority in your generation when you stand up for injustice. All right, I mean, you stand up for justice against injustice, I should say. Do you know that most Christian circles are just so incredibly conservative that if we start talking about things that God cares about, such as caring for the widow, the single mom, the, the orphan, the foster kid, and the sojourner, the, um, the undocumented immigrant, do, do you know that there is, that you will be ostracized? But I gotta tell you that like, I don't believe that evangelical Christianity is, is the thing. I don't, I don't, that, they're not my judge. 
They're not the ultimate authority. They're not the standard of righteousness. God is. His word is. He judges his people over and over again in the Old Testament for not caring about the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. And to some degree, you could look at the, uh, the black community as the sojourner. I mean, we know how the black community in large part ended up in, in America. We know that they have been sojourners here, not by their own choice. And so, yes, they've been Americanized. Yes, we've, we've created this melting pot that's really beautiful. And black culture is amazing on so many levels. But we might be the minority. You might feel like you're the minority if you speak out against racial inequality, wherever we find that. You and I might be the minority in the Christian community when we speak out against injustice. And I got to tell you, like, are we going to sit around and complain about our comfort? You know, a few weeks ago, I was talking to the guys. Are you going to sit around and just whine like it's too hard? Dude, man up. Let's defend those who seem to be defenseless. I mean, let's, let's defend people. Let's stand up for their rights wherever we see injustice. And yes, that also means injustice against law enforcement and against other races. If that doesn't mean anything, it's got to mean that. It's got to mean like, hey, we might be few who stand up to this, and we may be ostracized, but it is time. It's time to be the church. It's time for us to focus on those things. It's time to be few in the midst of the many. It is time. And so he says, verse 21, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, baptism is like what Noah did. What did Noah do? Noah built an ark, and he got into the ark, and he was saved from the waters of death. Noah got into the ark and he was saved from the waters of death. He was not washed away. He was saved by God's providence. So God saved him. So he says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Now does baptism save you? I don't believe that that's what he's saying because scripture doesn't communicate that to us. Scripture is saying baptism uh, now saves you not as like it's removing your sin or something, but it's the spiritual It's not the physical act of baptism that saves you. Rather, it is the spiritual condition of the heart that calls out to God and pleads for a good conscience and only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, baptism is saying this. Baptism is saying, I receive the salvation that you have sent to me. It's saying, I want my former life to go under the waters of death, to be buried with Christ. And to be raised up. So if you want to become a Christian, there's this idea of just raise your hand. Just uh, look up at me while, you know, during the service. And people have become Christians like that for sure. Uh, There's just different ways that evangelism has been done in the context of church services. 
But what he's saying is that the real way that evangelism takes place, the real way that people become Christians is that they are baptized and identify themselves with Christ. And they say yes to God. They say, yes, I receive your means of salvation, which is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is by Jesus having gone to the cross, he suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. I saw someone say on Facebook just recently that Jesus doesn't, doesn't care about evangelizing. In fact, he tells people not to evangelize. And Jesus didn't care what you believed about him. He just wanted to give you some kind of good teaching. Well, if that's true, then you don't need Jesus. You don't need the Bible. I don't know how you can call yourself a pastor and say that. That's craziness. No, this is saying this specifically. Noah had to get into a specific boat, a specific ark, the one that God told him to build in order to be saved. You can't get in any old boat. You can't climb a tree. You can't go to a tall mountain. You can't do whatever to escape the waters of death. You must receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You must receive him as Savior because the waters of death, God's judgment, he will right every wrong. If you want him to judge all injustice, all racism, all the ways that you've been abused, then you must know that he is going to judge your injustices. He is going to judge your abuse. He is going to judge your gossip. He is going to judge your lying. He is going to judge your gluttony. He is going to judge all of those things. You can't call for justice and not want it for yourself. Because this is what happens when you become a Christian is that I want purity. I want to be pure. I want to be made right. Not by what I think, not by what my standard is, not by what the world's standard is, but by the standard of Jesus Christ. And so I receive him by faith. I put my hope in him because he's the boat. I get into his life and I'm baptized in these waters and I'm brought to newness of life. And I have a new hope as a result. Men and women, do you want hope? Because I can tell you that judging from the last few nights that you walk out on these streets, you walk out in the streets of any big city in America, there's, there, there's not a lot of hope. I sat and listened to Don Lemon on CNN last night. One of the most hopeless commentaries on the world that I've ever heard as he sat and he lambasted America for basically saying, this is what you did. Look at what you did, kind of a deal. Which I just gotta tell you was the most self-righteous thing I've ever heard in my life. But he, here he is, not including himself in this, I think. And the, he is expressing the hopelessness that our world has. And it's hopeless because of his attitude. It's hopeless because we all have an attitude like that. If all those bad people would stop doing those things, then we'd be okay. Everything would be fine. Stop breaking windows. Stop, stop hurting people as a cop, and everything will be fine. But you don't realize that you're the problem too. 
I'm the problem. I perpetrated injustice. Where's the hope? Well, when you come down to the realization that like there is no hope, when you come down to the realization, and th this is in part why, why are the streets on fire? Is because what everybody believed was ultimate authority, was ultimate justice. Finally, everyone finally realized that that is not ultimate justice. Because the very people who are supposed to be keeping us safe perpetrated that murder against George Floyd. Intentional or not. All of a sudden, we get into this place where it's like, wait a minute. I thought we lived in the United States of America. We have a Bill of Rights. There, there should be truth. There should be righteousness. There should be justice. There should be all these things. And men and women, what you've just realized, and the reason why there's rioting in the streets, is that people are lamenting. They're in pain because they're saying, there is no ultimate authority. There is no ultimate power. There is no ultimate righteousness. There is no ultimate goodness that will make this right. And then they think to themselves, they'll get taken to court. And the judge will let them off on a technicality. Or not everybody will be charged. And so the world is without hope. But I'm here to tell you that there is hope. As long as you believe that the problem's out there, you can't receive it. Until you believe that I'm the problem. Until you believe that you are the one who is unrighteous. Until you believe that you are the one that has brought the injustice into this world. And that that injustice is not primarily against the people around you, but it's first and foremost against an image bearer of God. You've offended God before you've offended anybody else. You've sinned against God. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. Because I'm sinning against fellow image bearers of God. I have sinned against God in that. You have sinned against God in that. The flood is coming. Will you not get in the boat? Because the promise of Jesus Christ is not just salvation in this ethereal you know, way. It's not just this idea of, oh, I get a new community and I hang out with a bunch of evangelicals. The promise of salvation is ultimate and final salvation. It is ultimate and final vindication. It is ultimate justice. Look at what it says. He says, the end of verse 21, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There is nothing, there is nothing in this world that is not under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. He rules, he reigns. I know it doesn't look like it right now. 
I know that it doesn't feel good right now, but the promise of salvation is that the king who has ascended to heaven, the king is sitting at the right hand of God. He's with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Do you know why we're riding in the streets? Do you know why we're weeping? Do you know why we're mourning? Do you know why, why that's going on? Because we have lost hope. We thought that we were the ultimate superpower. But Jesus is the ultimate superpower. Chaos ensues when people believe that there is no ultimate authority. Jesus is the way to realizing that there is ultimate authority. And the, the only question is this, will you submit to his authority and be under his rule and his reign? Because there is hope in that. We have the message of hope for our world. Do you remember when COVID hit? Do you remember when, when the COVID pandemic happened? And people are losing their mind, and we keep saying this phrase, in these uncertain times. Why? Why, why, why do we keep saying that? Because people have lost hope in their livelihood. Do you see what's happening in our world? People have lost hope in their livelihood. They've lost hope in their job. They've lost hope in, in the safety of, of our world and of America, thinking nothing could ever happen to us. But they've lost hope in that. And now they've lost hope in the government in many other ways, as if we hadn't lost it enough already. We've lost hope in law enforcement. We've lost hope in all kinds of things. And Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate hope. The flood of God's justice is coming. I am righteous. I am, ju I am just. I'm slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love. But he will judge the wicked. And you and I are the wicked. We are the unjust. We are the perpetrators. You must receive Jesus Christ in order to get out of the way of those floodwaters. You must receive him. You must give your life to him. You must say yes to Jesus. You must admit your sins because he is the one who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And he has ascended to heaven and he is the king of kings. And you can have hope. Men and women, we have the message of hope through Jesus Christ. Let's partake of communion here. Let me grab that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want to invite you to grab some bread and some juice and just participate with me. But let's take a minute and let's just, let's just ponder what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus was put to death by a brutal regime. He was beaten. He was bloodied. 
His, his body was broken for our injustices. Jesus experienced all that George Floyd experienced and more. In fact, Jesus most likely died from, as I understand it, crucifixion in, in part from suffocation. You die from suffocation. It seems like I, I don't even know what necessarily the connection is there, but I just think it's so important that Jesus in part was, was gasping for air. And he gasped for air for you and for me. Let me pray for us before we partake of the bread. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that we would understand all the ways that we put you on that cross. Understand all the ways that we committed, that we perpetrated those brutal acts against you with our sin. But Jesus, you went to the cross. Thank you. Lord God, I take a moment here and I just confess my sin to you. Lord, my lack of caring for the black community on the level that I should be. Lord, I don't even know how. Lord, I think on some level that I may be unintentionally racist at times. Lord, show me how that happens in my life. Help me to listen to my black brothers and sisters to learn from them. Lord, to have a humble mind, it's so easy for me to be a prideful jerk. Lord Jesus, forgive me for that sin of not listening. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. We thank you for your body. Let's partake of the, the body. And Lord, we also thank you for your blood that was shed as you bled out on the cross. <clears throat> that your blood streamed down that cross and pooled at the base there. You, you gave it for me. The righteous for the unrighteous. You gave that for my sake. So Lord, I, I thank you so much. So Lord, I, I pray that we would be grateful for what you've done. It's in your name. Let's partake of the blood. I want to pray for those of you that might be still with us that have never received Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for these, these folks that I don't know where, where they've been or what they've been doing. Some of them are very aware of the injustices that they've caused. But they might be aware of just how they've abused others. Adultery. Pride. Whatever. 
But Lord, there's a lot of us that are just, we've just been prideful. And our sin is just, it just seems less noticeable, but nevertheless, we know that we have sinned. So Lord, I'm praying this morning that this would not be a one and done moment in their life, but that this would be life changing. That their realization that there is an ultimate authority that will bring justice and that they will experience that justice if they do not receive Jesus Christ as Savior. So Lord, this morning I'm praying that they would say to you, Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe that I have sinned against you in so many ways. But this morning I'm asking that you, that you would save me from all of the ways that I've sinned against you. I'm asking this morning that you would change my life, that you would make me into a new person, that you would cause me to be a different husband, that you would cause me to be a different wife, that you'd cause me to be a different young person, a different older person, that my life from this moment on would change, that, Lord, you'd correct my racism, Lord, that I would submit to you and that way I would walk as a disciple of you. Lord, I'm praying that they would resonate with these statements and that they'd say yes to you and that they'd let us know that they came to Jesus this morning, that they came to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. I invite you, as always, to, to comment on the thread or to contact us through our website. You can email me, matt at outwardchurch.com. I'd love to talk with you, and I hope that you have a, a great uh, rest of your day. We're going to worship through a couple of songs here before we close out.